Several pastors and the owner of an Alberta restaurant have been acquitted or had charges dropped as they pertain to violations of Alberta's COVID rules and lockdown orders. Doug Ford's progressive conservative government in Ontario has doubled down on funding for diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives and left-wing groups. Conservative leader Pierre Polyev's popularity continues to surge with a new poll indicating he is even leading among young voters. Hello Canada, it is Thursday, August 31st, and this is the True North Daily Brief. I'm Andrew Lawton. And I'm Lindsay Shepard. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. Several pastors and the owner of the Whistle Stop Cafe in Alberta have been acquitted of public health charges relating to violations of Alberta's COVID rules and lockdown orders. According to the Democracy Fund, Whistle Stop Cafe owner Chris Scott was acquitted on seven charges for his refusal to close his restaurant at the height of the pandemic. Lawyers defending Scott cited a recent court decision finding that public health orders were made outside of the Public Health Act's jurisdiction due to the fact that it was politicians that had the final say and not public health officials. Scott isn't the only one vindicated because of this decision. Grace Life Church Pastor James Coates was also acquitted of all charges relating to his decision to continue offering worship services while churches were ordered to close their doors. Uh, Coates was facing a possible jail sentence for violating those public health orders. The Alberta Crown is also expected to withdraw several other COVID tickets and potentially reimburse fines already paid. Another case involves Fairview Baptist Church Pastor Tim Stevens, again, also saw all charges withdrawn by the Crown. Now, I spoke about this with lawyer Sarah Miller on my show the other day, and and she was saying that really it's good in the short term in the sense that these charges are going away, but it may be a little bit concerning in the long term because the order is really saying that politicians do not have a right to weigh in on what the public health bureaucrats are doing. And I don't know, I guess in the long run, do you see this as being a win? Right. I mean, it's hard to consider it a victory when so many of us are just kind of baffled that the whole thing happened in the first place and that lockdowns even happened at all um, and that people weren't allowed to go to church, weren't allowed to go to funerals, weren't even allowed to dine in restaurants unless they had, you know, a vaccine passport. And I saw actually a Twitter post uh, two weeks ago from Rebel News where they clipped an interview from former Alberta Premier Jason Kenney with an interview he did on The Hub. And Kenney was, of course, Premier throughout COVID, the lockdowns and the mandates. And he stated in that interview that arguably Alberta didn't have lockdowns. And he follows that up with, oh, yeah, well, we had to close down schools a couple times, sure. But You know, he says he was also clearly trying to keep Alberta as the most open province. And it's like, well, no, clearly you weren't, because when we think of cases like Whistle Stop and the church closures, we think of Alberta. 
Yeah, and that's a fairly concerning bit of revisionism there. I mean, even if someone were to defend the steps Alberta took to say that they didn't do lockdowns, to say that they didn't have vaccine passports, it's just blatantly and brazenly false. And I, I agree with your point, Lindsay, about how it doesn't erase that we went through all this. I, I mean, even if these charges are overturned in a few of these cases, it doesn't change that the government thought it had the power and acted as though it did have the power to lock people out of houses of worship, out of restaurants, out of offices, and so on. Ontario's progressive conservative government has published a new anti-racism strategic plan that doubles down on diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI, initiatives and funding for left-wing organizations. The plan, published on the Government of Ontario's website on August 24th, commits millions of dollars towards anti-racist initiatives and highlights several recent anti-racist policies implemented by Ford's PCs. The Ford government believes anti-Black racism, quote, is deeply entrenched in Canadian institutions, policies, and practices, such that it is either functionally normalized or rendered invisible to the larger white society. The government hopes the new plan will help, quote, break down barriers and address systemic challenges to ensure every Ontarian from every corner of the province, urban and rural, can participate, contribute, and succeed. Ford's PCs are spending $1 million on, among other things, anti-racist lesson plans and classroom materials, while also investing $3 million over two years in, quote, anti-hate initiatives that include development of classroom resources to promote diversity. The Ford government plans to work in collaboration with several organizations on anti-hate training, including trans rights group EGAL Canada. Andrew, as other provinces and U.S. states are cracking down on woke teachings in schools, it seems like the Ford's PCs are actually doubling down. What is happening in Ontario? Certainly nothing good, and I think that it's important to note the additional unspoken backdrop of this, which is the controversy about the suicide of former Principal Richard Bilkstow, and uh, the really the pall that's been cast on, on this diversity industry because of that, and in the fact that here was a guy who was raising very legitimate questions against one of these diversity uh, teachers or instructors, and was subsequently accused of upholding white supremacy as a result. Now, obviously, that's one particular trainer and one particular program, but I think in general, what we see in these programs is a lot of very concerning beliefs that do not align with where Canadians, or in this case, Ontarians are, and more importantly, have some pretty darn politically charged implications. Right, and we spoke of, you know, $1 million on anti-racist lesson plans, $3 million in anti-hate initiatives, but according to the Government of Ontario's website, the entire anti-racism strategic plan will be $132.5 million. That's money that could have so easily just been not spent on this and not indoctrinating people. But here we are. So would you say they need to take conservative out of their name? Yeah, I mean, they're certainly doing something above and beyond what I think even the most optimistic liberals in Ontario would expect of a conservative government. So they're either completely whole hog into believing in this stuff, or they just think this is what conservatives need to do to be liked. But either way, it's going to be incredibly, incredibly harmful. And anyone who has ever left or right spoken up about thinking class sizes are too large, or there aren't enough 
enough easy early childhood educators. Uh, take that hundred and some odd million dollars and put it towards literally anything else in the education system, and it's going to yield better outcomes. Exactly. And, you know, there are so many hints in this when you look over this strategic plan that they don't even understand their own province. I mean, when they're talking about anti-Black racism that is invisible in the larger white society, that's such an odd thing to say where, I mean, in Toronto, white people are also a minority. So you couldn't even really call somewhere like Toronto a white society. No, and I think in general, the goal for any enlightened society should be moving beyond these racial demarcations. And and the problem, as we see time and time again with a lot of this uh, anti-black racism work that's being done by these diversity consultants, I'm not talking about people who genuinely uh, reject racism, is they actually create a society that is really defined around racial lines. Conservatives are leading by a wide margin across the board, but especially with young voters, according to the latest Nanos research poll. This poll found that 39.21% of voters aged 18 to 29 years old would vote conservative if an election were held today. That figure is uh, well ahead of the Liberals, who polled at 15.97% among that group. And in second place was actually the NDP with 30.92 support in that 18 to 29-year-old demographic. Liberals have plunged to third place uh, despite polling earlier this month in that age group at 26.8%. Trudeau's failure to address affordability issues and the mounting housing crisis has caused a bit of a rift between him and young voters, and some are also more concerned about climate change and progressive politics. They're tending to lend their support to the NDP. Polling shows that young Canadians have been among the hardest hit by rising interest rates and inflation. In a poll last month by Yahoo News, 52% of young adults said they were suffering from anxiety due to borrowing costs. Do you think this is an example of young people actually becoming a bit more conservative, or is it just such a rejection of the status quo that they're prepared to kind of hold their nose and vote for a party that they might not agree with on many other issues? I think Gen Z and, you know, the younger generation, it is possible that they could be leaning more conservative. Uh, I do come across that kind of, you know, more conservative leaning content on TikTok sometimes from younger folks. But, you know, as I wrote about two weeks ago, Pierre Polyev is refusing to provide his own immigration targets, and he won't say whether he will stick with Trudeau's 500,000 new permanent residents a year or whether he would lower the figures. So inviting in thousands of new people every day to live in this country, it does affect availability of housing, rentals, social services, healthcare. So the things that young Canadians are concerned about are impacted by immigration targets. So I wish Polyev would be more transparent on the matter, as we learned from the Globe and Mail today, a CIBC chief economist, Benjamin Tal, said that the Trudeau government is underestimating or underreporting how many temporary residents are in the country. So it's not one million like the government claims. It's actually more like two million. And that's because international students and temporary foreign workers, they may not be leaving the country after their temporary visas expire. So we're undercounting. Um, because a lot of people with expired visas are still here, and they are here needing housing, using food banks, etc. So, you know, these young Canadians who are putting hope in Polyev and the Conservatives, I think should hold back a bit until the Conservatives are more upfront about their immigration plan. 
Well, yes, it's one thing to vote against the liberals and vote against the status quo. It's another thing to make sure that the party for whom you will cast a ballot has a set of policies that you can get behind. And, you know, we've seen people in the past that will vote for a party on on one or two key issues, but they're not going to be loyal to that party unless that party's offering them something more. So do you think Polyev and the Conservatives will rise to that and will kind of offer something more for these people that are really only considering voting Conservative because of, say, housing. I think the way Pierre Polyev approaches housing is very palatable to young people. He seems to understand it on a level that Trudeau doesn't. And I think at the back of everyone's mind is the fact that Trudeau grew up as an elite person. You know, some of us may be more cynical and think Polyev might switch course. He's being too quiet on major issues, like the immigration issue that I mentioned. But I hope that, you know, Pierre Polyev will admit what his immigration targets are, and then that can be helpful for the conversation and for making an informed choice. That's it for today. Don't forget to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news that you need to know. Plus, Ratioed with Harrison Faulkner is back today at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time. If you're minded to support independent media, please share this with your friends and neighbors and also head on over to donate.tnc.news. We will talk to you next time.